Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Tomahawk Talk, the podcast. We've got the same crew on tonight. As always, I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Gary Putnick. Gary, it seems like we go every week. Good, uh, happy vibes, sad vibes. Happy vibes, sad vibes, obviously, surrounding COVID-19. This one's a bit on the fence. We did a, an entire Major League Baseball preview on last week's show, which really got flipped on its head when on the day of the, the first games of the season, Major League Baseball and the Players Union came to an agreement to expand the postseason. I have some thoughts on that, and they're a bit negative, but kind of our preview kind of gets thrown out the window. Not completely, but the playoffs are going to be 16 teams as opposed to just 10 teams. Again, not a big fan. I don't, I'm curious to see what your thoughts are. And uh, But then baseball, uh, you had a really good opening weekend, a lot of good, exciting baseball. Got to see the new extra inning rule. And we've got Alex Krutchik back on the show today, and we're going to talk a lot about it, but a lot of negative stuff uh, coming out from Major League Baseball this weekend. But on the other hand, the NBA, they're getting their season restarted in the Orlando bubble today, or this week, rather. And that's really exciting. But, Gary, it's a mixed bag today, like I said, uh, between the good vibes and the bad vibes. But first, give me your thoughts on the expanded postseason in Major League Baseball this year. From 16 teams in the first round, all best of three series. Well, I love it. As a Marlins fan, this is exactly what we would want. Alex and I, speaking to us too, we want this because it gives us a greater chance of making the playoffs. Obviously, for the Rays, the Yankees, and all the top teams in the MLB, they hate this because that just gives the little guys like us a chance to knock them off somehow, some way by any stroke of luck. And what the MLB is trying to do to kind of negate that worry is by giving the up the top seed a three the home field advantage for a whole three best two out of three series. So I can see that I'm fine with that coming from a lower seed team, but I love the decision for us right now for this shortened season. Go for it. Let's see how this works. If it doesn't work, scrap it for the next. Yeah, it's the best of three. That really bothers me. You could win, you know, you could win 60 games. No one's going to win 60 games, but you could win 40 to 45 games. And, and, you know, you got to play a three-game series no matter what uh, against a team that might be at win 30 games. So I don't like it. My biggest fear is that it does stick. And you don't need a 16-team postseason when you play 162 games. I'm okay. I don't like it this year, but I'm not losing any sleep over it because this season is just so weird. Uh, mm. But I, my biggest fear is that the uh, TV execs and the big wigs with Major League Baseball kind of fall in love with it, and, and it ends up sticking. I, I, I'm like I, I think I said it on last week's episode. Uh, the postseason will expand at some point. Uh, it's not going to stay at 10 teams. It'll probably go to 12 or 14. And again, I love 10. I like the way 10 is, but it's inevitable that it'll go to 12 or 14. I really hope it doesn't go to 16. It always goes back to the same argument you hear about the NBA and, and even the NHL that you got over half the league making making the postseason. And I'm just yeah. I'm just not a big fan of that. I was going to say if the, if it sticks to 16 team playoff, I feel like then you have to try and expand the league to at least 32 so that it's half. Because I do agree with you in saying that over half is a bit too much, but for the shortened season, you can kind of allow that little wiggle room there because maybe that team like who is a good team, but they kind of get pushed a little bit to the backside because they had one bad week. Yeah. And they can really prove, prove if they're for real or not. Yeah, and, and, and the other news that came out of that announcement or that, that story is that the player pool money 
uh, which was going to be at like $25 million is now up to $50 million, obviously more teams in there, but it looks like a little bit more money for the players that will be participating in the postseason. Sebastian Angel Riano, our producer back again on the show. Like I said, same exact crew as last week. Sebastian, you enjoy seeing the Rays back on the TV this weekend. Obviously they got the series victory against the Toronto Blue Jays. Absolutely. They had me going there um, towards the end of the, um, at the end of the series um, yesterday against the Jays. Cause you know, we were saying that three games is way more than three games this season and uh, seeing them four one in the hole uh, after uh, G man choice home run uh, had me a little worried. I mean, they, you don't have like the margin for error this season is so small that uh, dropping games against um, you know less powerful teams like Toronto. I'm not saying that Toronto. No disrespect to Toronto because the bottom what we were going to call the bottom half last week of the AL East has punched above the rate class for the first three games. Um, well, I mean it, it was Boston, uh, Baltimore, but you know we didn't expect much out of either of those teams, and um, Baltimore looked great while Boston's bullpen didn't. Um, I'm getting a little off track here, but I did want to say one thing, and that is um, while I'm really happy for baseball being back, I made a mistake on last week's show. Guys, I totally knew that they were going to do an expanded playoff. So when I said that there was going to be expanded playoffs and Brett was like, no, there wasn't, I was like, oh, crap, I just blew my cover. Uh, I'm not going to be able to slide into anybody's DMs. So I had to play along. I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. Just saying. <laughs> I knew all along you guys were wrong, but I was covering for you guys and me at the same time. It was a win-win. So Sebastian had the scoop, and we all kind of just blew him off there uh, on last week's okay. episode. We had to correct him. I hate doing that, uh, but we were doing a Major League Baseball preview, and he was like, there's 16 teams. I'm like, what are you talking about? And there now is indeed 16 teams in the postseason. It did expand. And rounding out our panel tonight, he was on last week's show, and he's really become V89 Sports resident Marlins correspondent. Uh, it's Alex Krutchik. Alex, uh, pretty, I know you haven't necessarily been in attendance on the beat, but a pretty busy time in Miami Marlins world, huh? I mean, yeah, Brett, it has been a roller coaster of emotions as a fan and as a reporter. Because you have Monday where Jorge Alfaro gets tested positive and you think, okay, that happens to everyone. Juan Soto got tested positive. You know, you hope Alfaro's okay, but no reason from a baseball standpoint to be worried. You win the ball game pretty convincingly. And then you lose on Saturday, which happens. And then Sunday you get the news as soon as you wake up. Jose Urania is not making his start. Garrett Cooper, Harold Ramirez, they're not making their starts either. And you have three guys that are positive, plus Jorge Alfaro is four. But they also all shared a plane, an airplane, a, a bus, a practice field, a dugout, hotel rooms. They all shared these things together. So you know in the back of your head while this game is being played on Sunday, a lot of these guys are have coronavirus, not just the four guys that have been confirmed. And sure enough, we wake up to find out that 11 players from the Marlins travel party as diagnosed positive supposed to fly back this morning so that they could play their home opener tonight at seven o'clock instead they will be depending on what their test results are later tonight or early tomorrow morning will be flying or sorry busing straight to baltimore for on wednesday and thursday so it has been quite a 48 hours and i don't think we're particularly done yet yeah, and that's really the scary part. So 
similar vibes and we've talked about this multiple times we talked about it when way back when this thing started and you saw all the college conferences cancel their basketball tournaments in march and then we started to feel the same way again a few weeks ago when the big 10 came out and said they're going to play a conference only schedule and the pac 12 followed suit and there was a report that the acc was going to do the same now the acc hasn't made an announcement yet apparently one is supposed to come this week um, but when all this news was coming about the Marlins, you know, you told me, I, I heard three, t- or you gave me a little bit of inside information. You said three positive tests and then it went to four. And then I was at work this morning. I checked my phone and it was up to 14. And I was like, this is not good. Um, because, and, and it's very difficult if one whole team were to have to quarantine and it's not completely out of the water, like uh, out of the realm of possibility that the Marlins will all have to quarantine that throws the entire schedule and the entire integrity of the season into whack. Right. And you're exactly right. The vibes right now are a lot similar to the ones that we experienced during mid-March, where at first you think, oh, okay, they're not canceling March Madness. They're just not allowing fans there, just family members. <laughs> it's fine. We're still going to do it. And that's kind of how I feel right now. Okay. They're just canceling a couple of Marlins games and they're canceling the Yankees versus Phillies game today. And I believe they're thinking about doing it tomorrow. It's fine. We're continuing the season. But that's the same thing we said back in March. We're okay. We're going to play March Madness with no fans. We're going to play NBA games with no fans. You know, San Francisco said that Warriors can't play with more than 250 people in the stadium. Fine. We play on. And then within 48 hours, you find out, actually, we're shutting everything down. So, unfortunately, we're not out of the woods. Rob Manfred did speak on the MLB network today and said that they're not canceling a season unless a team has so many positive cases that they are not able to field a competitive team. But here's the thing, Brett. I'm pretty sure that's what's happening with the Marlins right now. That can't be right. (laughs) Well, Alex, the the joke I want to make is that the Marlins, I don't know how competitive a team they were fielding with zero positive tests. I know they won their series. You wanted the Phillies. No, you had to get out there. You cannot disrespect the first place NL East Miami Marlins. I mean, guys, we got cheated out of a World Series preview in Miami. Mm-hmm. I was tonight, <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's disappointing. And this is what happens. You know, Major League Baseball comes in, and they say, oh, the Marlins and Orioles are in first place. We can't let that happen. I yeah. Think no, the big, I think the but, biggest, like, uh, go ahead, Alex. Sorry, Sebastian. But, yeah, going back to what I was saying before, in all seriousness, the Marlins are not fielding a competitive team right now. They are getting guys off of waivers right now that nobody has heard of. I mean, I'm a big baseball guy. We signed a guy off waivers from Toronto, I believe. I've never heard of him until now. I can't even tell you his name right now. I have to look it up. They're not even bringing up a lot of players from Jupiter, apparently. They're, they're, they don't want to uh, start the service clock for them by yeah. bringing them up. Like Guys like Monte Harrison, I believe he's six days away. From if, if they can wait six days before calling him up, the Marlins get an extra year of control out of him. So that's why they're very cautious about calling up guys like J.J. Blade, Monte Harrison, Sixto Sanchez. Like, Gary, I know that a lot of us in, in Marlins Nation were pretty excited to see, okay, how many prospects are we going to see this week? I don't think we're going to see any prospects. I think this lineup is going to be very unrecognizable. I By the agree way, with that. G-Man Troy sitting right-handed again right now. Good Lord. God help us all. Go ahead, Gary. Sorry. But but going – yeah, kind of going back to, like, how you guys said this kind of felt like the beginning or, like, all the way back in March how we were kind of feeling that again. 
I literally sat in my bed this morning till like 11, 12 o'clock in the afternoon, just sitting there refreshing Twitter, just seeing if any more news came out because I was just so down in the dumps about this whole thing this morning. And uh, it's, it's frustrating. And I, like Alex said, like, we're not, I don't know how competitive of a team we're going to be able to put out this week. I agree. It's going to be concerning to see that. And I just hope all the players are well right now. <laughs> I think the biggest takeaway that we can take from um, the spike in cases from the Marlins is if you want sports, you absolutely need a bubble. There is no, there is now like it is non-negotiable for any sport going forward. I'm especially looking at the NFL. It's the most logistically difficult sport to do uh, a bubble for, but I'm thinking of the three sports that I've been paying attention to uh, since they've all resumed uh, formula one, obviously, uh, the NHL, which is almost resuming, but is doing a bubble, and the NBA, which is like the bubble, right? Uh, the NBA, um, there have been no cases out of the bubble in Orlando, which is supposed to be a hotspot for COVID-19. But since they've been so um, diligent and making sure if you leave the bubble, you have to play by the quarantine rules when you come back. Um, they've been so diligent on it that they've had zero reported cases in what is now, what, two weeks of testing? Formula One has done uh, three races now, two in Austria and one in Hungary. Zero reported cases in all, through the course of all three weeks. That's um, not just the drivers, that is the support staff around the teams, uh, the pit crews, the pit managers, um, anybody who shows up to the racetrack, no confirmed cases um, from over 5,000 tests a weekend. Um, bubbles work and bubbles are the way to go if we wanna keep seeing sports. Um, this is also pretty telling to me on how poorly managed, just, just let's look at the optics of the thing. What was the MLB and the players union arguing about the most in the two months leading up to actually starting ball? It wasn't safety first and foremost. It wasn't, okay, how are we gonna do a bubble? It was, how is the money gonna be split up? Um, it's probably, that, that's probably not completely uh, genuine or uh, fair to either side, really, um, because safety was probably discussed at nauseum uh, during negotiations, along with uh, how many games were going to be played. Um, but what we saw as fans was just bickering about uh, playoffs and money, really. Playoffs, money, and how many games are you going to play? Um, it, it's just such a fumble by the MLB, a sport that was destined to be the best positioned to really take over the summer for uh, COVID sports, as we want to call them, um, but really didn't. The NFL is on deck now. Let's see if they can improve on what the MLB has fumbled so poorly. I think well, you bring up I a really great point, and we talked about it during those negotiations. They were not about health concerns. They were not about safety protocol, and now that's coming back to, to bite a Major League Baseball in the butt. And they decided not to do a bubble. And I think, you know, if you're going to play a full season, doing a, doing a bubble, and they're not playing a full season, it's a shortened season, but doing a bubble is tough. It's tough on these players. It's, they're going away from their families. It, it's tough on the mental health of the players. And, but it does work. It does prevent cases. And, and you're seeing that in the NBA and, and the NHL is getting started and their bubble, I think, is a little less strict than the NBA. They're going to be allowed to have visitors at certain points. But – it helps that they're in Canada, though, which is a yeah. country without without leaning too much into the politics of it all, even though a pandemic should never be political. Um, it's a country that has a much smaller population and one that handled COVID way better than ours did for a plethora of reasons. 
Yeah, no, no, definitely. So uh, when when you were bringing up that point about the MLB negotiations, I was pretending I was on around the horn, and I was hitting your your points button a oh, lot, there, Sebastian. No, that's good. Okay. Um, but baseball is, uh, yeah, baseball. It's kind of up in the air right now if this season is going to finish. What's scary about it is we're only one weekend into it. And how many teams would it take to have a situation like the Marlins? And there still could be more news coming out of that for it to shut the whole thing down. My I don't guess think it's, is like oh, two or three. three. I don't think it's a, a matter of the number of teams. It's which teams. If a if a number of Dodgers go down, I think, or if a number of just any like big name team from a larger market, even though Miami is a big market, it's not a big you know you know what Miami is when it comes to baseball. Um, if it's if it's enough players on enough teams or a big enough name, they'll shut it down. But until we hit that point, like if a bunch of Kansas City players get sick, it's only like maybe half a dozen or even a dozen, like it was in Miami. I don't think we're stopping for them. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. I don't think it matters who it is. I think if two or three teams get it, if it, it really could happen. If like say say the uh, the Phillies, if if we find out they have a bunch of positive tests tomorrow, I really think that's enough to where Major League Baseball at least puts a pause on the season. Which I don't know with the time guidelines that they're trying to work within and everything else that's going on, a pause might eventually become a shutdown of the season. See you in 2021. Hope that doesn't happen. But again, that's where we are. With that being said, it was a really great weekend of baseball. It was amazing to see baseball back on the TV. Lots of exciting stuff. The Marlins take two out of three from the Philadelphia Phillies. My Rays got off to a good start. The Yankees and Nationals, I think, had a really exciting series. Oakland and, and, and L.A. Uh, went into extra innings, and you got to see a walk-off grand slam from, from Matt Olson. But a couple of injuries to two of the game's best right-handed pitchers in the American League. You've got Justin Verlander. It was originally reported he was out for the season with an elbow injury. Dusty Baker came out and said, well, that's not entirely true. We're shutting him down for a couple of weeks, and we're going to reevaluate then. Justin Verlander came back and, and backed up those statements on his Twitter account. And as of now, that is the deal with Justin Verlander. It is being called a forearm strain. And I believe Jeff Passan kind of described this on Twitter and on ESPN today that, well, your forearm and your elbow, the forearm bone kind of goes into your elbow, and it's all one and the same. And forearm strain for a lot of guys, and I'm not saying this is going to be the case for Verlander, is usually a precursor, and again, I'm not saying that's the case for Verlander, for Tommy John surgery which would obviously be devastating for a guy like Verlander, one of the game's best right-handed pitchers. Pretty sure he's on his way to Cooperstown, uh, but he's 37 years old. And Tommy John surgery would not only have him miss this season, but probably most in all of 2021. Then you're looking at he's not returning till his age 39 season. At that point, for him, that's his decision, is it even worth it? So, Gary, if, if Verlander, we don't want to – you know, predict a guy's injury. But if this is a long-term injury where Verlander's going to have to miss significant time, is there a chance that, that this is it for him? He could hang it up? No. I mean, it's baseball. We see Jamie Moyer pitch until he's 50 years old practically. <laughs> so I think if Verlander, if he wants to, obviously, if he wants to, there will be a spot somewhere. I mean, whether it be the Mets or whoever, whatever team that, wasn't, that wants to sign him, I don't believe the Marlins would personally want to sign an old vet like him in a year or so. But as long as there are teams and as long as he's a big name and as long as he's quote-unquote healthy, 
I think their teams are going to want to sign him. How much does this hurt the Astros for 2020? It's already a shortened season. You're already only getting 10 to 12 starts out of a guy like Verlander. Even if he misses a couple weeks and then they start throwing him again and he's back in a month, I mean, that's a big chunk of the season he's missing. How much does this hurt him? They already lost Garrett Cole in the offseason to the Yankees. Yeah, I was going to say, they already lost Garrett Cole, so now that bump that would bump up Granke to be one of their aces this year. So at that point, you are kind of dealing with the depleted pitching staff, and it's going to be a lot more longer bullpen outings. And I don't know if particularly the Astros are going to have a deep enough bullpen to make their way through an entire season when usually they would have had three guys barring a Garrett Cole leaving to New York. If they had those three core guys there, they would have been set, but – now I'm I'm kind of I'm maybe regretting the Astros as my World Series pick right now. Well, that's an interesting thing you say, and this is definitely going to hurt the Astros not having Justin Verlander. But the reason mm-hmm. I think they're going to be okay, and especially with the expanded postseason, I still expect them to make it to yeah. October. Is you said just or Zach Greinke is going to be bumped up to be one of their aces. Zach Greinke's an ace. Yeah, he oh, just yeah. happened to be the third best pitcher on that team last year after he was traded there. Now he is that guy that's going to lead the line. I already mentioned Lance McCullers and how he is practically a new addition to this team after missing all of last season due to Tommy John surgery. The Astros still have some talent. I do have some doubts about the bullpen, if it's going to be good enough to get them through. But the lineup is so talented still. And I know we talk about the, the trash cans and the cheating and all that and how good are they actually. They're talented hitters in that lineup with – with George Springer and Jose Altuve and Carlos Correa and Jordan Alvarez, when he gets back to the field, he mashes baseballs. Um, but yeah, definitely hurts the Astros. I don't think this is like, if you're an Astros fan, I don't think your season's over. It's really not the case like that in baseball for any injury, unless you're the angels and it's Mike Trout. Um, but even then, you know, it doesn't end your season. It just hurts it a lot. Uh, it's not like football with the quarterback going down. So Astros fans, I don't know how many listeners we have that are Astros fans. But you guys are fine. Still a really good team. And obviously missing Verlander hurts. A team that might take a bigger hit from missing a pitcher due to injury is the Texas Rangers. Uh, Corey Kluber's out for at least a month. He's got a shoulder injury. That could turn into more. And if it gets really any more than a month, you're looking at most, if not all, of the season. Uh, Corey Kluber, they, they went out and traded for him, got him from the Cleveland Indians this past offseason and added him uh, to their rotation. That also includes Lance Lynn and, and Mike Miner, who put together pretty good 2019 seasons. Lance Lynn was really good, and he looked really good in his first start of 2020. Uh, I guess I'll throw this to, to, to Alex, but Corey Kluber, big blow for, again, a guy that's well into his 30s in that Rangers rotation and a team that, unlike the Astros, isn't as quote-unquote stacked. No, yeah, the, the Texas Rangers, obviously, you never want to lose an ace like that. They still have a, a pitching rotation that, like you said, they have Mike Miner still. They still have Lance Lynn. And I kind of like Jordan Lyles, too, towards the bottom of that rotation. It's not the deepest rotation. It's nowhere near the Astros, obviously. That goes without saying to where, you know, I'm not even worried about it at all. It, it's just one of those things where it's going to make things a lot harder for you because losing a guy like that, not only do you not have – uh, one of those guaranteed W's every five days, but also it means that your bullpen's going to work a little bit harder because usually Corey Kluber is that kind of guy that can get you six, seven innings every game. And now you're going to have to go to another guy that can probably get you five innings a game. Yeah, for sure. It, it's going to hurt. and it, it sucks because 
I feared we were going to miss the entire 2020 season, and there's still a chance we might miss a big chunk of it after only getting a, a three or four games in. But, you know, worried about missing a season of Trout and a season of Bellinger and Yelich and Acuna and some of the game stars. And you look at the pitchers, too, that are getting older, a guy like Justin Verlander and Clayton Kershaw, you know, future Hall of Famers that, you know, they don't have many more seasons left. So it sucks to see a guy like Verlander and Kluber go down with injuries that in a normal season might not put them out for the entire year. But this year, it just doesn't look good for guys like that. And if the season looks like it's on edge, I don't know how quick these teams are going to be to bring these guys back. Let's move over to Orlando, to the NBA, who seems, right as of right now, to have their stuff a little bit more together uh, down in the bubble. So 22 teams uh, in Orlando at the Walt Disney World Resort in the bubble. And uh, let's run through those teams real quick. We'll start out in the Western Conference, in which there are more teams involved. you got the L.A. Lakers the LA Clippers, the Nuggets, the Jazz, the Thunder, the Houston Rockets, the Dallas Mavericks, Portland Trailblazers, the New Orleans Pelicans, the Sacramento Kings, the San Antonio Spurs, the Phoenix Suns, and the Memphis Grizzlies. Then you look over in the Eastern Conference, you've got the Milwaukee Bucks, the Toronto Raptors, the Boston Celtics, the Miami Heat, the Indiana Pacers, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Brooklyn Nets, the Orlando Magic, and the Washington Wizards. So a lot more teams in the West uh, in what is more like the NBA Invitational. Not every team was allowed into the bubble based on how they had performed in the regular season before the shutdown. But those are the teams that are getting in. And the way things are going to go is the NBA is going to, uh, quote-unquote, wrap up the regular season. Each team is going to play, I believe it's eight more games um, to to seed themselves for the NBA playoffs, which are going to have the same exact format once you get to the playoffs. The finals are going to end on by October 13th. The playoffs start on August 17th, so a little less than two months of playoff basketball, which is what fans are used to. Here's the interesting part, and I have some thoughts on this too. There is a potential for there to be, in either conference, a quote-unquote play-in tournament. So if the eight seed, if the last team into the playoffs after they play these seeding games has a lead of four games or fewer over the nine seed or the ninth best team in that conference those two teams are going to play a best of two series so how that works is the nine seed would have to beat the eight seed in back-to-back games the eight seed only has to win one game the ninth seed would have the ninth seed would have to to beat them twice back to back kind of like something you'd see at the tail end of a double elimination tournament um uh, I, i don't know if this is necessary one because really in the nba the eight seed has little to no shot of even making it to the next round, let alone winning the title. And I think this is a bit of a money grab from the NBA, which is fine. I mean, they're, they're losing a lot of money uh, the way things are going. There's obviously no ticket revenue. I believe the t- I don't know what the TV deals are looking like, but it just feels unnecessary. But maybe it'll be fun, and maybe you'll get to see some more exciting basketball. Gary, what say you? Well, it won't feel unnecessary for the NBA, or this is the reason why I believe the NBA did this, is – because they really want Zion Williams and the Pelicans to make that eight spot, or they want them in the playoffs. Because Pelicans right now, they're the 10th seed. They're the 10th test behind the Grizzlies and the Blazers. The Blazers are ninth, Grizzlies are eight. And the Pelicans, they were given the easiest schedule, the easiest remaining schedule out of any team in the whole NBA. So that's really what they're hoping for. And I was getting a bit worried about them and NBA's whole 
my whole conspiracy theme or theory when Zion left the bubble. So I really do. I think it's a good idea, but I know I can kind of see through the thinly veiled uh, wall that is this smoke screen for the NBA. You, I, it, it might be about the Pelicans. I think, I think really what it is is you get definitely – well, if this happens, which I don't know the likelihood. I haven't looked at the standings. Um, but if this happens, you have at least one exciting game on television, but maybe two for two teams that are probably in contact. You're not really hurting the eighth seed by making mm-hmm. them play these games. Uh, it's not necessarily fair, but neither is the whole restart and the schedules were altered and not every team was brought back. So that wasn't really fair either because not every team was mathematically eliminated from postseason contention. I think at the point of the shutdown, the only team that was mathematically eliminated was Golden State. Um, so mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not 100% fair or anything that's going on uh, in, this, in this restart. But you're not really – like the eighth, whoever the eighth seed is, they can't really whine. They're going to lose to either the Bucks or, or the Lakers. You know, it's, just not, it's not going to hurt them. Well, tell me this. How much – or what do you think the ratings would be like for a Pelicans-Lakers game one of the NBA playoffs? Probably LeBron pretty good James, for the first Zion round. Zion Williams. I mean, just those two names pop off the screen. It's the king against the, the, the soon-to-be king, possibly, of the NBA. Yeah, I mean, I think probably really good for, for a first round. I think the ratings are going to be really high anyways, just because, mm-hmm. you know, we've gone so long without basketball. There was no NCAA tournament. There was no NBA playoffs in the spring and early summer. So, I mean, I think the ratings are going to be high regardless. Um, but, yeah, again, I don't know if the NBA is really tailoring this restart to help the, the New Orleans Pelicans out. I know Zion carries the weight there, but – that's a bit of a stretch, but again, it definitely creates more excitement for the NBA, and they would be very, very happy if the Pelicans do indeed sneak into the postseason, no matter who they're matched up with in the first round. Let's look through some of the teams uh, that I think have a shot, or the rest of the panel thinks have a shot, at, at winning the NBA Finals. Um, it's weird, because this is not going to wrap up until October. Uh, two-month-long playoffs, you know, this is – you've seen MLS do this. The, the, the MLS is back tournament, and WSL just wrapped up their tournament out in Utah. The Houston Dash uh, took home the trophy there. And this NBA restart is pretty lengthy. Uh, it's getting started this week uh, with some of the seeding games. I think the Jazz and the Pelicans play the first game on TNT. And it's going to go all the way until mid-October. Uh, but I want to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. In my opinion – they play in the Eastern Conference. They're going to be the number one seed. They have the easiest path to the NBA Finals. And for that reason, I'm not saying they're the best team in the NBA, but for the reason that they're going to have the easiest easiest path to the Finals, they're my pick to win it all. Um, Giannis is probably the most threatening player in the league right now in terms of athleticism and explosiveness. He's just a dynamic player. And I'm picking him to, to lead the Bucks all the way to the NBA Finals and, and to win it all. What do you guys think about the Bucks? I like the Bucks, but I really still am just concerned on how much weight is going to be put on Giannis in this playoffs because I know a lot was in the previous uh, year that he played in. So I, that's my one concern on them right now. I could maybe see a Toronto that's now healthy slipping by. A heat. I'd say the Heat are probably a long shot to do that. The Celtics as well. So I really think, if anything, the Raptors can maybe slip in and catch the Bucks sleeping. It's amazing how 
Uh, you, melt, you mentioned the Celtics before you did the Sixers. I think that speaks volumes on how much mentality comes into play. Um, I think out of all the four major sports, like um, a winner's mindset is super, the, probably the most important in the NBA out of the other four. You can have winners on your team, but for whatever reason, if you – um, like in the other four sports, but if, for whatever reason in the NBA, it just means that much more. And um, the general perception um, for the 76ers is that they're that like they're a team that really lacks that. Um, I personally believe, like I'm, I'm thinking about um, in I'm juggling between uh, Toronto and uh, Milwaukee for my. I just don't want to see LeBron uh, and his Lakers steamroll. Um, Eastern Conference champion. I want a show for the finals. I want to, um, whoever is going to take it has to earn it for me, especially in a shortened season. Pascal Siakam has become like the the centerpiece or the, the big star of the Raptors, and he doesn't feel like he has the same amount of like load to carry as um, as Giannis uh, as Giannis does. And um, I see it's not like Milwaukee's. It, is just the, uh, the Greek freak show uh, either. They've got phenomenal players. Um, but um, I see the, diff- I the difference between the Raptors and the Bucks right now, for, at least when you're talking about Pascal Siakam, he was, he had the benefit of the doubt last year where it was Kawhi Leonard's team and he didn't have to be the man. Now Siakam, Van Vliet, all those kind of dudes have to be there, be the man of this team and step up when time comes. So, Maybe they crack under that pressure because they haven't been thrusted into that top role yet in the playoffs. But I don't know. I still don't really – I'm not in love with this Bucks lineup. And I don't know how many – I don't know if you guys are either, but I still, I'm, I still believe I would be taking any team in the West over the Bucks right now. I, I, I think in terms – sorry. I think in terms of the East, I, I do think that the, Buc, that the Bucks have the most talent. I do also think that it's pretty well documented that Boston's chemistry issues have kind of sank them the last couple of years. This bubble, or the, the last couple months of the bubble, guys like Ennis Cantor and Kemba Walker have come out and said specifically, our chemistry has gotten a lot better. And again, I'm not saying that they're the most talented bunch. I'm not saying that they're more talented than Milwaukee. But remember last year, it was supposed to be Boston, Toronto, Milwaukee at the top, and Boston and no, or sorry, Boston, and at the time, Toronto were the two teams that were supposed to compete. And a huge reason why some people felt like Boston couldn't get it done against Toronto was because they didn't have great chemistry issues. They didn't work that well together. And now you have a situation where they seem to actually be working well together. And they've been looking pretty good uh, so far during these bubble test runs that they've been on. Yeah, Gary, going back to what you said, there are a lot of good teams in the West, and there are a lot of good teams that I think can beat the Bucs once we get to the NBA Finals. But from picking any team out of the restart, I want to pick the team that has the best chance to make it to the Finals to get to that seven-game series. And for me, that's the Bucs. I think they can beat the Lakers. They can beat the Clippers or any other team that that makes it to the NBA Finals out of the West. Uh, But... They're definitely the Bucks are going to get there. The Lakers, the Clippers, they're probably going to meet in the conference finals or in the conference semifinals. Only one of them go to the NBA finals, so it's hard for me to pick either one of them. But I think they're so evenly matched when they're at when they're at full strength. 
Uh, let's talk about the Lakers a little bit more. They, they lose Avery Bradley. He opts out of the season. They go out and get J.R. Smith, uh, LeBron James's old friend. And, and we got to see a couple of years ago uh, when they were teammates in Cleveland and uh, the year the uh, Golden State Warriors swept the Cavs before LeBron departed for L.A. And you had that infamous moment where uh, J.R. Smith, man, uh, he forgets the <laughs> score. And that was game one, right? And, and the Cavs had a chance to win Correct. that game. I thought they should have, but uh, I can't remember who it was, but he, who it was on the Cavs, but someone was missing a lot of free throws that I just thought was unacceptable. And a lot of people talked about if the Cavs had won that game, could they have gone on to win the series? Probably not. The Warriors were so much better than them. Uh, but, hey, it might have changed something. It might have went six or seven instead of four uh, like it did. Um, but J.R. Smith gets a chance to play uh, at the end of this NBA season with the L.A. Lakers. Is this a move that helps the Lakers at all, or is he just filling a spot? It's a filler move, and it's a decent filler move. Get a guy that can gel well with LeBron James, the the guy on this team. So it's not going to help. I don't think it's going to help them or hurt them necessarily unless they get into a same scenario that uh, Jared just doesn't know the time on the clock or the score again. So I think it's a decent move. It's not going to kill them. Yeah, and I want to talk about the Toronto Raptors. This is a team that dealt with a lot of injury issues before the shutdown. And when this team is fully healthy, when they're at full strength, they are not only a dangerous team in the NBA, but they're a really fun team to watch. You talk about guys like uh, Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam. They're the defending champions still, obviously without Kawhi Leonard this time around. But when they're at full strength, still a very well-oiled machine in Toronto. And I think the shutdown is going to help them a lot. If they can stay at full strength and stay healthy, I think they can make a really deep run. I don't think they can win at all, but they could definitely push the Bucks six or seven games. And if they're getting to a game seven, you know, anything could happen. They could knock them off and, and make it all the way to the NBA finals. Now, do, would they win? Probably not against the Lakers or the Clippers, but this team, the defending champs, they're set up now that they're healthy again to make another deep run. And we're going to move on to the L.A. Clippers. Uh, the, the Clippers had the most active offseason, obviously bringing in Kawhi uh, as a free agent from the Toronto Raptors and also trading for Paul George to set up their own uh, big two. I know we're more in the era of big twos in the NBA uh, rather than big threes like we did for a while. It's more NBA Jam style. And the Clippers NBA Jam team, you got Kawhi Leonard and, and Paul George. Oh, another team. Then? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, another team that dealt with injuries and is really going to benefit from the chance to get healthy. And this team hasn't really been fully healthy for long periods of time throughout the season. My biggest question is how quickly can this team click? Uh, we've seen them deal with some other off the court issues uh, since since the bubble started. But, but Gary, I don't know. Are you confident in the Clippers' chances? Um, oh yeah, I, I like their chances. I think they got a good team and I like the way that they all have been playing more. But like I said, they just got to stay together and stay in the bubble to say, say the least. I'm looking at you, Lou Williams, but I think we all know why he's in, in hot water right now. But yeah. I don't know. I still like the combination of, uh, Leonard, George, and even like Zubak and, uh, Morris. So I think that's going to be a solid team and a decent team to get around when it comes to playoff time. So 
don't know. I'm still deciding between the Lakers and the Clippers. Those are my obvious two teams to make it out of the West right now. Because I don't know. I just don't see the Jazz necessarily. I know they were everyone's oh, – I think they were everyone's darling last year with Mitchell and Gobert and that team that they put together, which was a very solid team. But I don't know. I just don't see either the Nuggets too because even with the addition of Bull Bull, I don't know if they're enough. <laughs> yeah, the Jazz, out, uh, they're, they're without Bogdanovich. He's not playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's injured. So they're still a good team. But that's a big hit. I'm interesting to see how – broadcasters and other people around the league that are within the bubble are going to, um, I guess, receive Rudy Gobert, who caught a lot of flack. Uh, he was the first NBA player to test positive uh, after making a, a little bit of a joke out of the virus. He was touching all the mics in the media room when, when this thing was really starting to kick off back in March. A lot of people blame him. Like, if he hadn't tested positive – things would not have played out the same exact way. It just might've been delayed by uh, probably a day or two. Well, Rudy Gobert, his hands have been wiped clean, so to speak now, because now the Marlins, <laughs> now the Marlins, the Marlins are now enemy number one. So he is yeah. off the hot seat. No one really needs to think of him, talk about him anymore. It's all about the Marlins being the enemy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, like it was going to happen. Like sports were going to shut down. We were headed in that direction. Gobert just happened to be first. And he happened to be the one that was making a joke about it. But at, at that point, like, it, it, it should have been taken seriously. Don't get yeah. me wrong. But it, we didn't know how serious this was going to get and that we'd still be talking about playing in a bubble come July and August. Uh, you know, we were all very naive back in March. We're thinking, yeah, let's shut everything down for a month or two. We'll be back to normal. We'll play the NBA. Baseball, we'll get to play at least, you know, 150 games or so. And we get football in the fall, so who cares? And that's, you know, now everything's in jeopardy and everything needs to be taken uh, with a grain of salt or taken, you know, you can't take anything for granted. Um, but I, I hope Gobert isn't, uh, you know, I guess crucified for, for the rest of the season, even though he did make a lot of big missteps before, before testing positive. I think, I think a lot of people are going to be able to forgive him. It's forgive and forget. If anything, like you said, he helped expedite this and help us all realize how serious it was. Exactly. So he, <laughs> he, he was a martyr for the right reason, I think, at this point in time. I don't want to call him a martyr. I think that might uh, be a step too far. That might be, yeah, it might be a bit too far. But, yeah, you get what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think once games start getting played, I think everyone will forgive him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll see. It might be more meme material um, for NBA Twitter. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about the Boston Celtics. Love this team. Love Jason Tatum. Uh, I think guy that's still so young has such an incredible future in this game. And he's not underrated by any stretch. But when you look at and you talk about the players that are the future of this league, you, you go to Luka Doncic, you go to Trey Young, you go to um, Zion Williamson. Jason Tatum is just as good and probably can be better than those, than some of those players uh, when, when he's on his game. And he's got a lot of experience already under his belt at such a young age. What a strong foundation for the Boston Celtics. This season, they're not going to win it all. I don't believe they, they'll even make it to the finals or have a chance to make it to the finals. But what an opportunity for them. A good dry run for their future is what I'm going to call it. They're built for the future. Jason Tatum's going to lead that franchise um, like they thought Kyrie Irving would uh, before he left for the Nets to go team up with, with KD. Um, but I really like this team. I think they have a lot of potential, and I'm excited to watch them play uh, in the bubble. 
Yeah, I, I like this team too. I think they're just one solid piece away from being that team to be able to take on the Bucks in at a respectable level. But yeah, I don't know. I there's yeah, there's just not enough to get them over that hump at this point in time. Could that one piece be Giannis? Do you think they have enough to sign Giannis right now? I mean, I don't, I don't know. know. It's tough. It, I don't think it, it would be next year, right? Yeah, but I think it's next year. Yeah, either this summer or next summer. But I just don't think anyone other than the Bucks are going to be able to get Giannis. I don't really see him leaving Milwaukee. He's going to get paid a boatload of money. They're going to back up the Brinks truck for him. But if we're talking about other teams that are just a couple pieces or one piece away, I think the Heat are also that sort of team. And I love this team that they've built up so far with Nunn, Bam, Jimmy, uh, Dragic, Duncan, Hero, all of those guys, I think it's a really solid core. And I think they're just a little bit – I know there's rumors of them trading for Beal. I know that probably be a little bit too much. But I do believe they're just on that cusp. And if this team gets hot, if Duncan shoots out of his mind in the restart or whatever, in the playoffs, maybe this team makes a deeper run than people think. What do you Miami. guys think on the heat right now? I'm a Miami fan. I'm praying to God that Duncan gets hot. That's I never what... thought I'd hear the day. Hey, when Duncan is hot, it's he's nearly unstoppable. I know I was watching a little bit of their first game against Sacramento the other night, and the, the game started in the heat. Uh, I think they went about halfway over halfway through the first quarter with only making threes, and they scored about 20-some-odd points with it. It's disgusting. It was crazy to watch. Duncan was on fire. It was I was having a ball. <laughs> I, I like this scene a lot. Yeah, I like. I don't like the Heat's chances. Obviously, I, I don't see them in the finals. I don't even necessarily see them in the conference finals. But I think it's great to have these guys play in a tournament style uh, playoff system because, of course, you're not getting the real playoff experience. You're not playing it in front of a bunch of fans. You're not getting the pomp and circumstance. But you're still playing in a tournament. Now, I, I do think it's pretty interesting what they're having these guys do because it does seem like Eric Spolstra has had some uh, different strategies. Now that they're in the bubble, I noticed that Tyler Hero is handling the ball a lot more often than he was during the season. I think that's pretty interesting. You know, he doesn't have a complete handle on the ball yet, but he's getting there. And if he can turn in a ball handler as well as a spot-up shooter, he'd be very, very dangerous. Well, I think he's doing a lot more um, ball handling early on in these couple bubble first bubble games because none hasn't been 100% to go. Because when none's going to be 100%, he's going to be able to play more. I think he's going to be our main point guard and main ball carrier up the court. So I look, yeah, but I, if he can start being more of a point guard, that'd be amazing too because – him and Dragic and um, Nunn could really be a solid group of point guards to take over for this team and add some depth. I have a question for my Miami guys before, mm-hmm. if we're about to move on. Is this the, like, it, it seems like the core of this Heat um, iteration is is pretty, is on the younger side, even though that's kind of been the trend for the, ever since the big three era. Uh, is this the most, um, like, fit uh, group uh, or just like the, like the healthiest group that they've had? Um, in a long time because I know that the one of the trademarks of the Miami Heat organization is this borderline fanatical work ethic when it comes to fitness and um, and training and it seems like that would be something especially coming off of you know shaking off the rust of being um, benched by uh, COVID for the past uh, two or three months it seems like something that would be a huge advantage especially going into a tournament um, like we're about to enter well I, I don't know you can go first 
I, so I don't know about fit necessarily because you're right. It has been a culture of just straight fitness ever since Pat Riley came here uh, several, several years ago. However, I would say it's, I don't even know how to put this into words. Miami Heat, the Miami Heat fan base has a huge obsession with the word culture. And culture. <laughs> it's a specific type of culture that the Miami Heat use. And this is the best uh, personification of that Heat culture where, you know, Tyler Hero's great. He wasn't supposed to be great. No one was excited about this draft pick. You know, who the hell is Tyler Hero? He's one of the best players on the team. Duncan Robinson, I believe, started off at a, what, was it a Division II college, Gary? I believe so, and then he, obviously moved to Michigan. Right. Duncan Robinson's not supposed to be this good. Mm-hmm. Kendrick Nunn is not supposed to be this good. This is one of those scrappy underdog teams where they turn into one of those teams that comes out of nowhere and, and does some weird stuff. Well, and that's why I think Jimmy Butler is that kind of perfect fit because he is also one of those crazy people that just turns it on and that loves to compete and has that kind of unbridled uh, energy. Because I mean, we saw that when he was in Minnesota, he would get, uh, do the five on five with the second string guys against the first string guys and he would beat up on them and yell at and call him soft, probably rightfully so. And then he didn't get along well in Philly because they didn't want to work as hard as him. And then he comes down to Miami and everyone wants to work. And that's what I love to see. That's why I think he's been such a great fit. And even during the whole COVID break, he sent every single player on this team, on this Heat roster, a basketball hoop to build and put wherever they please. I don't know if everyone can necessarily do that because maybe some guys are in high-rise apartments on Brickle. But just the gesture kind of just says, hey, we're not letting this stop us. We're going to keep working. And when we come out of this, we're going to be ready to roll right out of the gate. All right. Before we wrap up tonight's show, uh, we don't have to do playoff predictions because we don't know the playoff bracket yet. But I would like to hear from everyone a, a team to watch. You could either do just one team or a team from each conference and then a player or two. Uh, to watch out of this restart. Um, I really don't care who goes first. Um, I'm going to say the Lakers, and I know that's a very basic answer, but it's actually not because of LeBron and AD, even though those will be very interesting players to watch. I also think Deion Waiters is kind of interesting to watch. He (laughs) signed with the Lakers just a couple, just, I believe it was just a week before the shutdown. So we didn't really see much of him in the regular season with them, but he had some great years, with, or one great year with the Miami Heat, and then just fell off the face of the earth. A couple of days ago, he had 12 points off the bench just in the fourth quarter. He popped off out of nowhere. And I don't know if that was just a flash in the pan moment or if Deion Waiters is about to step up and be like the third guy for L.A. But that's going to be an interesting thing to watch. Well, my two, my two teams, I'm going to go two right now, and it's going to be the Pelicans and the Grizzlies. I'm really going to be watching this Western Conference race for the eighth spot i'm really not giving much credit to the trailblazers i'm sleeping on them quite a bit right now but that's just because like what i mentioned before the pelicans have the easiest schedule the nba wants them to win and that's their mo at this moment so seeing john morant zion williams lonzo ball that whole crew doing their thing that's going to be by far the most interesting and i'm going to be tuning in to watch just about every single time those two teams play for me, I only have kind of uh, one player that I'm going to be watching consistently all the way through these playoffs and, uh, well, whatever really happens with the bubble. And that is somebody who actually started um, their public appearances 
uh, pretty early on in terms of what life is actually like in the bubble. I'd like to give a big shout out to Matisse Thibel. I love, uh, he has this series on YouTube called Welcome to the Bubble. Uh, it basically has been him walking um, us, the viewers, uh, through uh, the journey of the 76ers from Philly over to um, Orlando and what kind of day-to-day -day is kind of like for, for these players right now. It's incredibly interesting. He does all of his editing um, in, his, in his room in the Grand Floridian. Uh, he's an incredibly talented individual um, on and off the court. Like his editing is super, super cool. He does a cool, um, he does a ton of uh, cool things with, with the cuts that I really like uh, in terms of like video editing. It, it, like I was, I was blown away at the quality of um, his like film working. I know he was either a film or photography major coming out of college. Um, I'm sorry that I'm blanking on this right now, but he has been trained um, on a collegiate level and um, it shows he's really dang good at his job. And, and, I, and I, for the longest time, I haven't been a, an NBA fan, but like, I want to be a Sixers fan oh, because of. Okay. I'm just, I'm just going to say, I, I watched a few of his videos. I enjoyed it. I watched the one where he was playing golf at one of the courses in Disney. And I, I saw later on that one of the, I can't remember if it was a Sixer player or if it was another player, but one of them didn't, a player in the NBA didn't play in one of their uh, restart games because they were fatigued due to golf early <laughs> on the afternoon. So I don't know. People are dogging on golf and probably saying it's an easy sport, but hey, it can get even the best of the athletes in the world. From the sport that brought you did not play old comes, did not play golf. Hey, I got in around this afternoon. It was very hot. All right. Yeah, all right. My pick, it's a bit of a homer pick, but I'm, I'm really pandering here to, to the Florida State fans, which I'm sure there are a lot of as listeners to this show. Just because uh, we haven't had a lot of Florida State news to talk about, real quick, Cam Akers signed his contract with the late, or not the Lakers, stuck in the uh, NBA. Cam Akers signed with the LA Rams today after getting drafted in the second round. But my pick here is the Orlando Magic, and that's really specifically focusing in on Jonathan Isaac, who had a really great start to this season, dealt with a big injury, but is slowly starting to come back. He's in the bubble. He was playing in one of the scrimmages, and there's a really good chance he's going to be playing for the Magic here down the stretch and into the postseason, Jonathan Isaac, one of the, I think the highest rated player to ever be drafted out of Florida State. Someone correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but again, really promising player in his young career. And if he's healthy and at full strength, a really important part for the Magic, for the Orlando Magic, they're not going to win a title this year. They're not going to go deep into the postseason. But when they're at full strength, they're an interesting team. And Jonathan Isaac is a really interesting player. And uh, that is going to be just about it for tonight on Tomahawk Talk. The NHL is also coming back. They're in two separate bubbles in Toronto and Edmonton in the hub cities that the NHL is dubbing them. We're going to talk a lot about the NHL in the coming weeks as they get back underway and get ready to move into their Stanley Cup playoffs. There's some seeding series between, I believe, the bottom four seeds and then the next four – or not the bottom four seeds, but like seeds five through eight and then seeds uh, nine through 12, plus some round-robin seeding uh, games between the top four seeds from each conference, uh, which is going to be really interesting as the NHL comes back. We're going to talk a lot about that in next week's episode and probably the following week as well. Um, but yeah, always, as always, big thank you to our producer, Sebastian Angel Riano. And uh, for Alex Krutchik and Gary, and Gary Putnick, I'm Brett Rutherford, and we'll talk to you guys next week.